people rejoiced. They laid down the palm fronds in front of him as the victorious, victorious king rolled in. They shouted, Hosanna, God who saves. And they, just, and they rejoiced, and they were praising him and glorifying him. And I thought about it because today is Palm Sunday. It's what we celebrate in remembrance of what happened. And it seemed like the perfect place to go. We were about to wrap up in Malachi. And Malachi, the, the key theme, I think, in Malachi is that he was going to send a messenger who was going to make the pathway straight for the one who was going to come to end, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, And as I thought about it, I got to thinking, what made them so excited about him coming in? And that's really what the message is about, because we have some reasons to be excited, reasons to rejoice. I'd go beyond excited. Excited doesn't completely cover what I'm talking about. You can get excited about lots of things, you know, but rejoice, that's a thing of God. So let's pray together, and then we'll get started. Our Father and our God, and it's in your holy, precious name that we have gathered, and we've come to rejoice and the God of our salvation, to give Him praise and to honor Him and glorify Him. And we thank You, Father, for what, what You have done, the reasons we have. Because what happened on this day so long ago was the evidence that Your Word was true, that Your promises were being fulfilled before their eyes. And we look back and we can rejoice in that and we have the hope that comes from it. And it'll go from great rejoicing to great sorrow to tremendous victory in the span of a week. And I just want to praise you, Father, and thank you. And somehow, through your power and grace, encourage our folks to, to rejoice over what today begins to represent. And it's in your Son's name that I'm praying. Amen. As I thought about this, and as I went back and forth, I really came down to it being Palm Sunday, and I got to thinking about the idea they were rejoicing. And I looked at a number of passages. You're probably all familiar with the triumphal entry passages. Matthew chapter 21 gives us the triumphal entry. You know, Mark chapter 11 does the same thing. It's Luke 19 has the passage. Matthew has a little bit different than Mark or, or and then Luke. John is just a touch different in his his telling of it in John chapter 12. But it's all the same, essentially. The king is riding in on a colt, on an animal that kings don't ride in on. He's going to come in and make his entry, and then he's going to be examined for a week, for three days, and then he's going to be offered, and he's going to pay the price for redeeming you and I. And he's going to be put in a grave. And then on Sunday, when we gather again, we will gather at the empty tomb to celebrate what has transpired. That's, that's what's happening. But when, they, when he enters in, as I'm thinking about this and meditating on it, you think about what's going on. Remember now, this is what's happening this week was, was Passover. This was the standard requirement for every Jewish male to attend and to bring his family to. They were required under Levitical law to attend three feasts at the temple. We know these. This one, the first one being Passover, where the Lord would pass over the people of Israel 
and bring them out of captivity. The second one was the Feast of Pentecost, or First Fruits, which happens 50 days after this one. And then the third feast was the Feast of Tabernacle, which starts out with the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and then a week dwelling in the presence of God. And there's obviously some great theological significance that's played out in each one. Obviously, Jesus Christ being the Lamb of Passover and the Holy Spirit being the bringer of first fruits at Pentecost. And then when the trumpet sounds and we gather together with Him to dwell in the tabernacles in His presence. That's what we're talking about here. But this was just Passover in that sense. Jews have been coming to this thing for now for 400 years since they had been released from captivity. We know from Malachi and from Ezra and from Nehemiah and for others. So it's been 400 years of repeatedly doing this very thing. Once the, the temple had been rebuilt and the walls had been put back in place, and we know from Malachi it wasn't but a small stretch. They had started to be, make it perverse again. We know they had disrespect for the altar, disrespect for the table. We know that they'd had disrespect for God's people, for God, for each other. We learned all that. And God said, I'm going to send somebody and He's going to lay the pathway straight and He's going to make this way for the one who's going to come to His temple, who's going to come in suddenly. But this could have been just any other Passover. This is not the first one Jesus attended. He has attended 32 other ones in His life. So what makes this one so much different? Because this is the one they respond to. See, under the Old Testament, what was supposed to happen is that in Exodus chapter 12, the father was supposed to take a lamb sized for his family, and he was supposed to offer that lamb of the first year without spot or blemish on behalf of his family and take that blood and put it on the doorpost. And, and that first night of Exodus and from every day since to represent God passing over. And a father was supposed to do that for his family. And so every year that's going on again. But this year is different. This year, the Father of glory has taken up His Lamb. This year is unique from all the other Passover celebrations. Because this year, the, this time, this story, this event, the Father of glory, the great I Am, has fulfilled His own words when He said He'll provide Himself a Lamb. And the Father brought His Lamb to be offered in Jerusalem that day. So the people have, can rejoice first and foremost because God is keeping His Word when He said He was going to do these things. And we can go all through Scripture. We can pull up Isaiah 53. We can buy up Isaiah 51. We can go and read Zechariah. We can go and read all the passages that talk about this. But the fact of the matter is, for these Jews, year after year celebrating Passover and nothing really changing in their lives, let's be honest. The temple was built, but the ark had been destroyed. There was no mercy seat in the dwelling place. There was no place to sprinkle the blood offering. There was no way to receive God's blessing in truth because there was no place for it to be done. As a matter of fact, the only way now for this to properly be operated is for a true high priest who could enter into the true holy place, take his own blood and sprinkle it on the only location the mercy seat ever truly existed, which is in the presence of God. It's the only place it can happen. 
So for 400 years, since they got back, not a lot was going on. They'd go and they'd go through the ritual. They'd go through the routine. They would make the offering and they would celebrate that God had passed them in Exodus, but their lives weren't changing. How do I know that? Malachi. They had been set free to return to worship and they still weren't. Malachi revealed that to us. So the outward expression of all this didn't change the inward heart. It didn't make a difference. But this year, this offering, this Passover was going to be different. This Passover was going to be unique. And so the people had been watching Jesus now for three and a half years. They had been watching Him ever since John the Baptist, remember that guy, said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, when it says in this passage in Psalms chapter, uh, Psalms 118, verse 24, This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We have always applied that to our Sunday worship, haven't we? And I'm not going to say that that's not correct or right because we should rejoice in this day because God has made this. But for them in that day, and what the true meaning for us today is the application of it, that he is talking about when he says, this is the day the Lord has made, rejoice and be glad in it, he's talking about Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago. Because the day that was made was the day for the Lamb of God to come in. They had watched Jesus for three and a half years. They had plenty of reasons to rejoice. Remember when he went in in Luke chapter 4 and he reads from the passage in Isaiah. He reads it, Luke 4. You don't have to turn there, I'll turn there just for some context. He says to him in 4.18, he picks up the book because in those days it was appropriate for any men of God who were of age and able to come and take the, pat, the book and read a passage from it in the hearing of all. And he said to the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed it gave it back to the attendant and sat out and all the eyes in the, in the synagogue were fixed upon him and he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And Jesus began to minister those very things. For three and a half years, the people had reason to rejoice. I find it so interesting that on the day of his triumphal entry, the Pharisees had two comments about what was being said. Now remember, the people are laying down palm fronds which is the representation of a conquering king, representation of victory. They're shouting Hosanna in the highest, which literally translates from this passage in Psalms 118, Save me, O God. That's the meaning. So when we say Hosanna, we're saying, Save me, O God. We've kind of turned it into a rejoicing fun moment, haven't we? Kind of a... Uh, it's a laughing song, but what we're really saying is, Save me, O oh God. Save me. But they had never done this before. They hadn't laid down palm fronds for anybody before. They haven't gotten excited before. They didn't shout Hosanna to the Lord, Hosanna in the highest before. What was it about this day? Well, they had watched Jesus for three and a half years, and they had plenty of reasons to shout. 
Back to what I, my point. I got off track there a bit. <laughs> Happens to me sometimes. The Pharisees said two things. They told the Lord to shut His disciples down. He told them to rebuke them. Yeah, we don't want any celebrating at Passover. We don't want anybody joyful at the thought of God delivering them. We don't want anybody shouting to God and praising Him here at the temple. We can't have that going on here because they're not giving glory to us Pharisees and us Sadducees and us scribes and anybody else that thought they deserved glory. That's why they want them to shut down. And Jesus says, hey, if I shut them down, these rocks are going to start crying out. If, I, if, I, if they be quiet, the rocks are going to shout. And the other thing they say is they say it amongst themselves over in John. They say, all your work's for nothing, fellas. The whole world's going after this guy. They hated it. They hated it with another passion. Because the Lord of glory was about to make the difference in the lives of his people. That's what today is about. But yet they're saying, see, they, they understood back in song. I've got to turn back, sorry. They understood what it meant when he said, this is the day the Lord has made. We will re rejoice and be glad in it because they understood what it meant. How did they know this day was different than all the others? Because Jesus had been to the other Passovers, but he, he had been doing all sorts of miracles. I want you to think about why they had to keep rejoicing. I wrote down a few highlights here. No particular order, just this way. They, Jesus, in those three and a half years, from the time he read from the book of Luke to the time he walks in or rides into the Jerusalem, he had done miraculous things. And just a few touches. First of all, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you take the Sermon on the Mount and the cursory reading, you can do it in about 12 minutes. Just read through it. So in 12 minutes, Jesus makes one of the most profound sermons in the history of the world. He articulates the true depth of the will of God for His people. In one 12-minute span, He explains to them, you've heard it said, but I say to you. He turned everything on its head. Those people had reason to rejoice because Jesus, at the end of the passage, it says, this guy spoke to us as one who has authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. He talked to us like somebody who knew something. This guy got it going on. We're going to follow him. And it's not long after that, by the time you get to John chapter 6, there's only a multitude around there following him. So he has that. In Matthew chapter 8, one of my favorites, I love this guy, the centurion, I think probably many of you probably identify him with him as much as anybody. Because the centurion simply said, look, i got a servant who's over here dying. Could you come, can you help him? Jesus said, I'll show me where it's at, let's go. The centurion says this, no, you don't even have to come. See, because I'm a man under authority myself, I'm a centurion. I tell men what to do and they do it. I tell men to go, they go. I tell men to come, they come. I understand what authority means. Matter of fact, all you've got to do is say the word and it'll be taken care of. Because I understand authority. Jesus said, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. It's done according to your word. Man's healed. What do you think the centurion was doing from that point forward? I bet he was... 
probably better than that. He was a centurion. He probably had it down. But I bet he was the least little bit rejoicing. I bet every time a Pharisee come along and said, hey man, you're a centurion. You're, you're not even a Jew, buddy. I don't know about all that. I just know the man said healed and he was healed. That's what I know. This was the day the Lord had made. The centurion. How about the Lord of the Sabbath? <laughs> Who healed the man on the Sabbath day because he was Lord of the Sabbath. What do you think that man said? You get healed on the Sabbath day. One of y'all got a problem right now physically and God touches you today on this day or yesterday if you're a Sabbatinian, if you think it that in that light. He does that. And I told you, hey, look, you can't be doing that at church today because that's not the day for that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Are you crazy? <laughs> I don't care what you got, preacher. The man done healed me. I got reasons to talk. I got reasons to rejoice. Or how about from Mark? When he says to the paralytic, before he heals him, your sins are forgiven. And all the Pharisees went nuts then. Oh, you can't do that, preacher. You do a lot, but you cannot forgive his sins. They told Jesus plainly, didn't they? Jesus said, look, just so you know I have power to forgive sin, this thing that's invisible to the naked eye, the thing you can't see but by fruit, just so you know I can do that, rise up and walk. How do you think that fellow went from then on? Not only was he walking, but he was talking about the fact, my sins are forgiven. I'm freed up, baby. I got I'm free. I don't know about all that over there. I just know the man who showed up at my house when I couldn't walk, said my sins were gone, I'm forgiven, and now here I am standing up here walking. Now you can't do that today, man. This is Sabbath. <laughs> this ain't the day for that. Yes, it is. Today's the day for that. Every day's the day for that when you get healed. Right? Or how about <laughs> in Mark chapter 5, one, another one of my favorites is the woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. I don't know what her health issue was. I can guess. But the scripture plainly says that she had spent all of her livelihood on physicians. All of it. Any of y'all ever spend any money on doctors? How'd that work out? Still spending money on doctors, right? And I'm not, and let me say this now, by the way. I'm not, I'm no way am I preaching against doctors or anything else. I am, for, thank God for them. Thank you, Lord, for giving them all that wisdom and understanding, knowledge, explanation, medicines, all the things that help us. I am grateful to the Lord for that. I'm simply making the point that this woman had done all that and it hadn't changed a thing. And she grabs hold of his garment in the midst of a crowd while Jesus is headed somewhere else to do something else. And she said, who touched me? I felt the power slip out of me. Now, Jesus, it wasn't like Jesus really didn't know who the woman was. Okay? It wasn't like he was like, really? I don't know what happened. Oh, that's not how it was. That was for her to be emboldened to go, it was me. 
It was me. I'm the one who had the issue of blood for 12 years, and I heard about you, and I've been pushing through this crowd to get here. You healed. Now, what do you think that woman was doing the rest of the time? That's what I'm talking about. She was pretty excited. So you think she told any of her friends? Matter of fact, back up on this story for just a second. You think she told any of her friends she was sick? In hopes, because I know what she did. She went to her friend and said, man, I got this issue of blood. What am I going to do? And maybe the sister said, well, I went to this doctor and he helped me. Oh, well, I'm going that way then. And it didn't change anything. And I'm not saying don't do that. Don't misunderstand me. What I am saying is when God does a work in your life, you got a reason to rejoice. That's all I'm talking about here today. Because this is the day the Lord has made. We'll be glad and rejoice in it. Or how about the one that had the demon? You know, demons are working such a way you don't even know you got a demon. You just think that's how it's supposed to be. I'm just supposed to be crazy, mean, ugly, rude, obnoxious, tearing up people, destroying things, not having nothing. That's just how life's supposed to be. Feller living in the tombs, he just thought that's what it was. I thought everybody lived in the tombs. Why ain't y'all out here with me? We're all crazy together. No, it's not how it's supposed to be. It's not how it's supposed to be. How do you think that fella did from that point forward? When he sat there dressed and in his right mind, hugging his family again for the first time in who knows how long. Embracing his wife or his children or his mother or his dad. Or his long lost friend he hadn't seen because he'd been living down at the tombs consumed with a demon. I bet he was the least little bit rejoicing. Or how about them shepherd boys in that field that night when the angelic host showed up sitting out here with my staff, leaning on it, listening to bat, bat, bat. Now come on, I didn't do it justice, but you know it was for real for that moment when the whole sky lit up with an angelic host. Come on, that had to be a moment. These guys, they didn't have, you know, X-Files to tell them what was going on. They had to just look. And an angelic host is peace on earth and goodwill toward men. What do you think them fellas did for the next three and a half years? I bet that was a regular story on the plains. <laughs> Maybe we'll have another night like we had three years ago, fellas. What do y'all think? Come on, you know that was some talking going on. I, fellas, I've been around y'all when we've been by the fire or on the work roof or whatever it is. We tell these stories. You know them fellas was talking about it. Can you imagine the shepherd got home that, that next day to his wife? She, Where you been? Wives don't ever say that. Oh, well, let me tell you what happened. The angelic host showed up and told us that the Savior was being born. And that light we saw in the sky, that was his star. And the Savior had come. This is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. John the Baptist, when he looked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Can you imagine what those disciples must have thought when they heard that? These are John's disciples now who are being baptized to believe on the one who is to come. And so they're listening to John. John's saying, repent, do works to meet for uh, repentance, live a life that is according to the Scripture, give up these old things. And he says, that's the guy. 
These guys for the last 400 years have been dragging a lamb down to the temple to get offered. He suddenly points to this two-legged upright man and says, He is the lamb. That's the lamb. I thought this was the lamb. This blood of lambs and goats could never take away sin. Only the precious, perfect blood of a lamb of the Son of God can truly take sin away. And when he shows up that day on that donkey, that's why they're celebrating. Because the lamb the Father had promised from Genesis chapter 3 was here. That's why Palm Sunday is a celebration. And when Jesus withstood the temptation in the wilderness, thought about that. He got tempted pretty good. And he withstood it. And because he withstands it, he's righteous. He was righteous before, but now we see the example of it. And we rejoice at that. How about them 12 guys that got called? You know they talked about it. Sometimes they talked well about it. Other times they got it wrong. Like today they was all sitting there going, can you, just James and John, his mama, I'm going to go talk to Jesus get you all placed in the kingdom. <laughs> That's what happened. And they go from, we're not going to betray you, Lord, to I'm the greatest in the kingdom. So they had their struggles. But nonetheless, they were called to be disciples of the living God. And we know they talked about it because I'm reading from their text. You've read from their text. Over and over again, we read what they said from that moment forward. You don't face the fire without the living God dwelling in your heart and rejoicing. According to church history, it said Peter encouraged his wife while she was being crucified. Peter himself said, i got to be hung upside down. I can't even be hung like the Lord. John, they say he lived, you know, poor fellow. He just was on an island of Patmos in total uh, separation from all human touch and burnt in oil. What a way to go out. Others were sewn in animal skins and thrown in the ocean. Still others were drugged behind chariots. Still others had their intestines hooked on a spine and rolled out of their body until all was pulled out. And yet these men rejoice. Why? Because this is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I haven't even got to the point of the day yet. And how about this one? John chapter 2, and I love this, and we have such huge debates about what, what we should do with drinking of wine. All I know is this. There was a man who was having a wedding for his children, and if he doesn't have good food and good wine throughout the entire portion of that wedding, it's going to be talked about in his community from then on how old brother so-and-so didn't have the right wine at the wedding. Not that we would ever do anything about anybody's wedding like that today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Jesus turns that water into wine. And the chief of the feast says, Man, most people serve the good stuff early, get them drunk, then they bring out that Boone's Farm afterward to make everybody happy. Y'all laughing because you know, that's why. See, you wouldn't laugh, you didn't know. <laughs> But you've brought the good stuff out now. You think that fellow talked about that? Matter of fact, the couple that got married, you think they said, ever said anything about it? Man, we were worried to death we weren't going to have enough. And then Jesus showed up and turned a whole six pots of purification water into wine. 
we had reason to celebrate. We had reason to rejoice. How about the woman at the well? Yeah, go get your husband and I'll talk to him, which was the correct way to handle discussion with a married woman. I'd get your father if it was a single woman. And what happened? Jesus pointed out to her life, and yet he forgave her. What do you think that woman said from that point forward? What do you think all these people said the day at Jerusalem when the Pharisees are going, hey, quit talking. Hey, stop making that noise. I'll tell you what they said. They said, we got to. That man up on that donkey, he forgave me. That man up on that donkey, he cured me. That man up on that donkey, he received me. That man up on that donkey changed my life. That man up on that donkey is God. I got to praise Him. I can't not praise Him. This is a day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it because this is the day that God has sent His Lamb to take away the sins of the world in which I'm one. This is why they're rejoicing. Which now brings me to the next point. That was my first point. Some of y'all are like, what? My next point. How did they know that was the day? Because the Scripture told them. The Scripture told them that this was the day. He says in verse 24, This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now. Hosanna. That's the Hebrew word being used there. When he says, save now, Hosanna. Save now, I pray, O Lord. Save now, O Lord, is the pronunciation. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus had come in the name of the Lord. Another passage told him that he's going to be on a colt. That's who you look for. See, up until this Passover, nobody had ever shown up doing the miracles that he had done, healing and delivering people and saving people and doing all these things, forgiving sin, living the righteous, perfect life. None of them had ever come in there because Gamilia talked about it in Acts. He said, look, there's going to be a lot of people say they're Jesus. They're saying this guy, remember all those people, they passed away, they didn't change anything. This man made a difference. And on this day, he fulfills the Scripture. The people know it because he's sitting on that donkey. He rides in on the lowest of lows. That's the one. He's the guy. He's the Savior. And now, all these things we've enjoyed up until this point are just trivial, uh, tri trivial compared to what He's about to do. Because one thing interesting about all these people we just talked about, they're all going to die. Every one of them are going to pass away. Even though he'd done all these things, the man who was, who was crippled and now he walks, he's still going to die. He's still going to end. Even Lazarus, who he brought back, is going to go. But this is going to be different. Because that man, that Lamb of God, is going to be offered up 
and take away our sins. And he's going to bring in the blessings of God. And the blessing of God is this, that you can come into his presence, that you can worship him in spirit and in truth, that you can enjoy God, and that God is, finds joy in you. And that joy that he finds in you and he finds in me is not Robin or it's not you, it's the Lord Jesus Christ dwelling within us. That's the joy that he finds. So when they saw that, they saw that man on that donkey and they knew everything he had done. They understood what the scripture had told them. This is why they rejoice. Because that man on that donkey is about to save us. This is why we rejoice. Because that man on that donkey has saved us. He has taken away the sins of us all. As I thought about this, and I thought I had three thoughts that I want to share, and then we'll wrap up. My first thought about this is simply this. How do you see Jesus? I love when Jesus asked Peter and the other disciples that day on the road, he said, who do men say that I am? And they responded, well, some say John the Baptist, which is really odd because him and John the Baptist walked together. Right? John the Baptist baptized Jesus, I think, if I remember right. Or they some say you're Elijah, which is an, under, an attempted understanding of Malachi. Or one of the prophets. Who do you say I am, Peter? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus rejoiced because flesh and blood has not revealed that to him, but his Father who is in heaven. He knows that because God gave it to him. So the thing here today is this. How do you see Jesus? Do you see him like the Pharisees saw him? The one who's taken glory from you? The one who demands absolute worship and absolute submission and absolute truth to him? Because that's why the Pharisees were mad that he was getting glory that day. Because it took it from them. Do you see him like the Pharisees saw him? mocking everyone who runs after God? So they're weak or unable or they're not able to to stand on their own two feet. I've heard that said about Christians. We need a dependency on something. I do. (laughs) I do. Like I've told you countless times, it's the old life that got me in my situation. It was the old thinking got me where I was. I need somebody to help me. If you see Jesus that way, then you've not seen him at all. You need to see Jesus as that man on that donkey who takes away the sins of the world. You need to see that you have sin that has separated you from him. One of the reasons that people are rejoicing so much is because God is allowing them to come back into his presence. Maybe, maybe you've simply seen him here today as somebody who's moving the city. 
In Matthew chapter 21, you don't have to turn there, but what he says to people, when they hear all the excitement and all the shouting, it's coming from the believers who are rejoicing over what, who has come in and are excited over the lamb being offered who's going to take away the sin of the world. The talk goes through the whole community and all in Jerusalem are going, who is this? Who is this man that they're talking about? I'm convinced the greatest problem with evangelism is not that we don't knock on doors or not that we don't have great programs or do we don't have missionary offerings we just heard the testimony I think the greatest problem with evangelism today we're just not rejoicing over who it is on that donkey go back to the time when God touched you go back to the time when you were crippled unable to come to God Go back to the time when your life would have prevented you from coming to the altar. Go back to when you weren't worthy to have Him come under your roof. Go back to when you wasted 12 years of your life searching for something that could never satisfy. And Jesus came to you and delivered you from that. And if we'll rejoice over that point alone, then all of Chiefland's going to want to know what's going on with you. I'm convinced the reason people don't ask us more about our faith is because they don't see anything happening. I bet we spend more time talking about our favorite football team. And I, I, I'm a football fan, don't misunderstand. How do you see Jesus? How do you see that man on the donkey? Savior, Redeemer? Lamb of God, or just another somebody stirring up something. I pray that you see him for who he is. The lamb that has taken away the sins of the world, of which you are included. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. He has come to his city. He has come to redeem his people. And by the end of this week, it will be accomplished. And all of us will be able to rejoice from this point forward over what he's done for us. This is the story of the great I am. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to share. I pray I've communicated what you put on my heart, that today is a day.